Well, guys, uh, fresh in our minds coming off this last week's community group study is the issue of being salt and light. Salt and light. Uh, this last week, for those of you who aren't in a community group, which is Cross Life's smaller Bible studies, uh, we looked at Jesus' words to his disciples, to his followers, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 16. And, and in those four uh, brief and wonderful verses uh, we had the, that we had the privilege of diving into, our Lord lays out for his disciples how they ought to relate to the unbelieving world. And it might be more accurate to say that Jesus in that passage in Matthew chapter 5 is really laying out to his disciples who they actually are to the world and who they ought to continue to be to the world. And Jesus pretty much communicated two things to his disciples. You guys know this. You studied it this week. One, he said, you are the salt of the world. That's what he told his disciples. And then two, uh, he told them that they were the light to the world. Jesus first informed his disciples that they were the salt of the world. And what salt was primarily used for in Jesus' day was a preservative for foods. Many of you guys know that. To keep the food from rotting and decaying, specifically meats. And so what Jesus was communicating to his disciples when he told them that they were the salt to the world uh, was that they were to keep the world from dying or slow down the process. They were to be a, a preservative to the decaying world. And I'm sure a lot of us uh, hit on this this last week, again, because it's the passage we studied uh, this week. That statement that Jesus makes to his disciples there in Matthew chapter 5, it's really an indictment to the world, is it not? I mean, it's a common uh, conception and really a misconception that the world is getting better and better. And so you ask the question, why did Jesus tell his disciples that they were preservatives? Preservatives. They're stopping the world, Jesus was saying, from decaying, from rotting. Morally speaking, spiritually speaking, the world is getting progressively worse. And our jobs as Christians is to slow down that moral decay. We are to do that by living out and holding firm uh, to the truths we find in this book, in the Bible. But not only are we to just slow down the world uh, from morally decaying or, or morally uh, rotting, not only are we to play defense, right? That's what being salt to the world is. It's playing defense. It's telling the world, stop this, stop that. It's exposing their darkness. We are to play offense as well. We are to play offense. We don't just preserve the world from getting worse or worse. You got to understand this. We also point them to the one who can stop them from decaying altogether, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus said secondly, right? You are salt to the world. And then secondly, he said, you are a light to the world. And I don't think any of us here would deny that we live in a, a perverse and dark world. And, and we ask the question, how are we to help them turn from their crooked ways? How are we uh, to, or, or how are they to turn from their sins to the Lord Jesus Christ? This is where we come in as Christians, right? We are pointing the world through our words and through our deeds to the Messiah. We are being a light unto their path, leading them to the Savior. 
And I'm sure coming off this week's study, guys, in your community groups, this, have been, this has been consuming your mind as it has mine. And particularly what I have been thinking about this week as it relates to being a salt and being light to this world is that if we could be obedient to our Lord's will for our lives concerning the issue that we look at tonight, we will undoubtedly be salt and light. I'll say that again. If, if we as Christians can follow and be obedient to God's desire concerning the issue that we look at tonight, that we consider tonight, we will undoubtedly, you will undoubtedly be salt and light. So you ask the question, what are we going to look at tonight? What are we going to be diving into tonight that can help us be a better salt and be a light to this dying world? Ladies and gentlemen, it is the issue of personal retaliation, as you can see at the top of your handouts, if you're following. The issue of personal retaliation, I don't think it comes to any, any surprise to you all, but, but the world has this mindset that if someone does something wrong to you, it is your right to return the favor to that person. The world says if, if someone has harmed you in any way, it is your personal prerogative to get back at that person. There's nothing wrong with that, the world teaches. If someone hurts you, hurt them back. Hurt them back. If someone takes something from you, take that thing right back. If someone insults you, by golly, you better insult them back. Is this not what the world teaches? And Christian, I'm here to tell you that everything in our flesh, everything in my flesh, everything in your flesh would concur with that. Everything in our, in our being would want to agree with what the world believes when it comes to personal retaliation. If we are honest, we are individuals who naturally want vengeance to be ours when we have, be, when we have been wrong. And Christian, I'm here to tell you that tonight, if you want to be salt, if you want to preserve the world from morally decaying, if you want to expose their wickedness, and if you not only want to do that, but if you want to point them to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, then the world's attitude when it comes to personal retaliation must not be present in your life. It can't. If you want to be a bright beacon, which our Lord says we are, and that we should let it shine even brighter, right, in Matthew 5, to this dying and decaying world, you have to conform your thinking to that of the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to this issue of personal retaliation. You must. And so, if you will, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 to consider what our Lord taught his disciples concerning this very issue. We come again to the Sermon on the Mount. We're studying this in our community groups. For those of you who aren't in a community group, it's just a wonderful, the, the, the best sermon ever given by the best preacher. <laughs> Verse 38 in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if, it, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Pray with me.
Lord, we need your spirit uh, to help us to be obedient to, to your command here that you have for us concerning this issue of personal retaliation. Please help us, Lord, to be obedient to these words here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42, Lord, so that we may point people to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Here in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is simply correcting the false teachings of the Pharisees and scribes. If you've ever read the section of Matthew's gospel, uh, you couldn't happen but to note it, notice the repeated phrase uh, by Jesus when he says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. It's repeated all throughout the section of Matthew's gospel. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And what Jesus is doing there, he's doing two things, right? He's exposing the false teaching of the Pharisees and scribes. First, that's what he's doing. And then secondly, what he's doing is he's giving the true teachings of God. He's giving the true teachings of God. The Pharisees had twisted and perverted the word of God. You guys know this. When it came to almost every issue, every issue. And so in this section, Jesus is working to set some things straight. He's working to set some things straight. In verses 21 through 26, he sets straight the issue of murder and anger. The Pharisees basically taught, hey, murder is just this, physically killing someone. But Jesus says, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. He says, but I say unto you, if you're angry in your heart towards another person, that too is murder. That too is murder. He exposes the false teaching and he says, it's not that way. God doesn't want that. Here's what he truly wants. Here's what he truly says about that. And in verse 21 through 26, it's on the issue of anger. In verses 33 through 37, he sets straight the issue of swearing by certain things. In those days, the Pharisees were teaching that if you swore by something other than God and you ended up lying, you weren't liable for judgment. You weren't liable for judgment. But Jesus says, no, that too is false teaching. That too is errant. That is not God's desire for you. He corrects their false teaching by saying, it doesn't matter what you swear by. It doesn't matter what you swear by because God created everything. He created everything. And a lie is a lie. And it's evil. It's evil. Again, Jesus in this section on Matthew's gospel is doing two things. He's exposing the false teaching of the Pharisees and scribes, and he says, it's not that way. And then he's giving the true teaching of God. And here in our passage for tonight, Jesus does the same thing as it relates to the issue of personal retaliation. The Pharisees had taught, similar to the world's teaching, that if, if someone did something evil to you, then you are okay to return that evil. Which makes me think, guys, the Pharisees, though their name, their name actually meant the set-apart ones, they looked just like the world, did they not? They did everything like the world. Everything they said was in complete contrast to what God had said. And thus, you had a group of individuals masquerading around as if they were holy, but they looked just like the world. But that's really a side note. And so again, Jesus seeing their false teaching on this, he knew he needed to correct it. And so he, he lays out for his disciples God's teaching on this very issue. 
Here in our text, Jesus does two things. One, he, he lays out the teachings of the Pharisees and scribes and what they taught on personal re- retaliation. And then two, he lays out what God taught about personal retaliation. I'll say that again. One, he lays out what the Pharisees and scribes had taught about it. And then two, he lays out what he taught about it or what God taught about personal retaliation. So let's get at point one. What the Pharisees and scribes taught about personal retaliation. Verse 38, it says, you have heard that it was said, and it was said by the Pharisees and scribes, this is what they taught, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so as we have already mentioned, the Pharisees and scribes' teachings, it was just like the world on this issue, just like the world. The Pharisees misrepresenting uh, a passage in Exodus 21, in which we will get to in a while, they had taught the people that it was God's desire for them. This is what they were teaching. It's God's desire for you that if someone has mistreated you, has done something evil against you, it's your right, according to God, to get back at them, to get back at them. If someone pushed you, they taught, push them back, push them back. If someone slapped you, God says it's okay to slap them back. If someone stole something from you, took something from you unjustly, then you take something from them unjustly as well. This is what they taught the people, guys. Because after all, they would say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. This is what God teaches Guys, is this not our natural disposition as fallen men, what they were teaching? Which your ears should perk up and say, oh, no, no, no. That's not what God wants. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the mid-20th century London preacher, he comments on this verse saying this, quote, there's no need to elaborate on this because we are all unfortunately familiar with it. We are all guilty of it. If any harm is done to us, the immediate natural instinct is to hit back. And not only that, but to do more than hit back. This is what men and women were doing then, and it is what they still do. And he continues, a slight injury to a man, and the man injured will have his vengeance, including bodily injury to the other. He might even kill the man. This whole tendency to wrath and anger, to retribution and retaliation is at the very depths of human nature, end quote. He's spot on. He's spot on when he said that the tendency, this is the tendency of all mankind, including believers, including you and I. If we as Christians are honest, we too, when we are wronged, have a strong desire to return the favor, do we not? When someone cuts us off on the road, what do we want to do? Let's go get back at them, right? When someone says something evil to us at our jobs, in class, maybe it's a teacher, what do we want to do? Return the favor. Do we not? Just think of your childhood days. (laughs) Yeah, we all laugh, right? We know what's coming. When we were harmed or hurt by one of our beloved siblings. (laughs) And their acts of cruelty, their acts of cruelty went unseen by your parents. Like, darn it. They got away with it. And then what do you do? You go chase them down to do the same thing they did to you. But what happens to you? Does it go unseen? 
No, 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 no. You're caught. You know, my coaches used to always say, because it used to be our tendency when we were playing football, hey, the second guy always gets caught. <laughs> the second guy always gets caught. And that's the same way when it was with our siblings, right, when it came to cruelty. We got caught, and your parents would rebuke you, and they would say, no, Jimmy. <laughs> Whoever out at Jimmy, if you're out there, I'm not, I'm not talking to you specifically. <laughs> no, Deontay. Don't do that. And what was your natural response in that instance? When they caught you in the act of cruelty, what would you say? What would I say? Well, I would say this. Well, well Michael did this to me. Michael did this to me. Well, 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 my sister, she did that to me. Guys, from our youthful days, we have been bent towards fulfilling this very thing. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and, and we still are today, even as Christians. So I want to pose a question to you all. What did God mean when he said that? Do you know? An eye for an eye? A tooth for a tooth? We know that the Pharisaical teaching on this, on this issue was incorrect, right? But do we know why from a textual standpoint? Tonight, guys, I hope to make it clear to you from an exegetical standpoint, from the, from the text itself, why the Pharisees had it all wrong. I hope to show you from the scriptures why it's not God's will for your life for you to have an attitude of personal retaliation. I know you already know this, but I want to show it to you. Again, guys, if we wish, if we wish to preserve this world, to be salt and light, in this dying and decaying world, if we want to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ, conform your life to this very thing when it comes to this very issue. And you will undoubtedly be salt and light. Undoubtedly. And so I want you to turn with me to the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 21. Go to Exodus chapter 21. Of course, if I am to prove to you that the Pharisees had it all wrong, I must take you back to the passage that they were referencing when, when, they were when they would teach on personal retaliation. And I got to make it clear to you. Got to make this passage clear to see what God really meant when he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Exodus 21. Exodus 21. Let's start in verse 22. When men strive together, that is fight, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child... Her, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. As the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he, he shall pay as the judges determine, verse 23, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe, stripe for Stripe. And guys, there's basically three points that I need to make clear concerning this verse. You see it in verse 24. There's our, 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 our teaching, right? Or there's our commandment, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I, I want to make three comments or, or three points when it comes to this verse. If I truly want you guys to understand what it means. And the first is this. This commandment, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was to be administered. It was to be carried out. Not by the individuals, not by the victims, 
but by the judicial authorities. Does that make sense, guys? It wasn't to be carried out by the victims. It was to be carried out by the judicial authorities. When God was laying out his civil commands for his, for his people, Israel, those laws were never to be carried out by the people themselves, but rather the judges or the, or the magistrates, they would call them then. They were the ones to carry out the law. Or, or maybe to put it in simpler terms, the people of Israel were never to take matters into their own hands. God had given these law to Moses, and Moses was to be the one to carry out these things. Look at verse 1 of chapter 21. Now, these are the rules, again, and there's just a myriad of rules following. Now, these are the rules that you, you shall set before the people or them. If you go back to the previous chapter, Exodus 20, starting in verse 22, you see that God was talking to Moses. He was talking to Moses. It was Moses' duty to fulfill an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Look at verse 23 of, of chapter 21. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hits her shall surely be fined. And as the woman's husband shall impose on him, or, or as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you, catch that? Then you, Moses, he's still speaking to Moses, shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, etc. God says you, Moses, are to give the payment. It was Moses' job to carry out the paying of that command. It was Moses' job to carry out the law. And you saw at the end of verse 22, look at it, at the end of verse 22, as, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. It wasn't just Moses who was to be the judge, but there had already been selected other able men to help Moses in judging the people. They had been selected to be the magistrates. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Flip back to chapter 18, chapter 18 of Exodus. And we'll start in verse 17. Verse 17, many of you guys are familiar with this. This is Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. He's giving advice to Moses. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. What was Moses doing? Well, he's trying to do it all by himself. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about, about the statutes and laws and, and make them know the way in which they must walk and, and what they must do. Here it comes, verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and, and hate a bribe, and, and, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds, of, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people. Let them judge the people. Moses listens to his father-in-law. Look at verse 24. So Moses listens to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, made them heads over all the people, chiefs of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judge the people at all times. They judged the people. They judged the people. Moses had taken the advice of his father-in-law. 
And he selected a group of godly men. We see from verse 21, right, that these men who, who were to judge the people of Israel, they feared God. They weren't just anybody. They weren't crooked in their ways. They, they hated bribes, verse 21 says. They, they were trustworthy. And they too, just like Moses, were to be the authorities when it came to carrying out an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Guys, does this not make just complete sense? Even from a practical level? If, if left in the hands of the people to carry out the law, then all objectivity goes out the window. All objectivity. The dealing out of proper punishments will become tainted and corrupted by sin and by subjectivity if left in the hands of the people. Consider our judicial system of the day. If someone stole something from your house and you decided to take matters into your own hands and go steal something right back from them, would that fly in the face of the court system? And you say, well, judge an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I was just doing what they did to me. Would that fly? It wouldn't. There are undoubtedly rules that are etched into stone when it comes to repaying criminals for their criminal acts, but those rules are to be carried out by who? Not the victims, not the victims, but the law's officials. The judicial officials are to carry out them. The same was true for the people of Israel. They were supposed to leave the dealing out of punishments, guys. I got to make this clear. To the leaders of Israel, to the leaders of Israel. The Pharisees had applied this passage to the victims. They were teaching that the victims are the ones who are to carry out these rules. And what resulted in this were all types of cruel acts being committed by the Israelites against one another. One commentator pointing out this issue of the false Pharisaical teaching, he says this, and quote, as far as the teaching of the Pharisees and scribes is concerned, their main trouble was that they tended to ignore entirely the fact that this teaching on an eye, and a, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth was for the judges only. They made it a matter of personal application. Guys, it was never God's intent to have the people personally apply an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But that's what the Pharisees taught. It was to be carried out by the authorities, by the authorities. And so go back to chapter 21 as we conclude our first point. First point, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was to be carried out. It was to be administered by the judicial authorities, not the individuals. Point number two, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was to be administered or it was to be carried out in the case of a serious crime. In the case of a serious crime. God never intended for this command to be carried out in the instance of petty issues. <laughs> he never intended it to be that way. I mean, take, for instance, the scenario in which this passage is given. Look at verse 22. When men strive together, again, that's fighting. And what do they do? And they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out. But there is no harm. Then the one who hits her shall surely be fine as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judge is determined. But if there is harm, they shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I mean, this is a serious criminal act, is it not? There were men who were fighting, probably in, in their anger and in their pride. And not only were they just angry and, and, and prideful, but they were, they were doing that to such an extent that they had, they had no regard whatsoever, no regard for their surroundings. And what did they end up doing? 
Verse 22, at the beginning of verse 22, they hit a pregnant woman. They hit a pregnant woman. Guys, and so it's clear. I mean, even from the context, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it was to be carried out in the instance of a serious criminal act. I mean, look at the, even preceding this story, look at verses 18. Or actually, look at verse 20 of Exodus 21. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with the rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. He shall be avenged. Again, another serious crime. Another serious crime. God says if if someone kills their slave in the same way that that criminal has seriously harmed that individual, taken their life, he too shall be harmed. I mean, guys, these are serious things here. These are serious criminal acts. I mean, in the first story, right, in this context, you're talking about a, a life of an unprotected woman and an unborn child. And then in the second one, a person killing, killing their slaves, killing their slaves. Contrary to this fact, the Pharisees, the Pharisees and scribes have been teaching that no matter the situation, if you judge personally, if you judge that you have been wronged, then you are free to wrong back. You're free to wrong back. They're probably telling the people something like this. If, if someone cuts you off on the road as you're riding your donkey down to Jerusalem, then by golly, it's your right to hop off your donkey and kick them off theirs. <laughs> or maybe they were telling the people something like this. If someone accidentally knocks over your cup of juice, you knock over theirs at dinner. And actually, you get up and you flip their plate over. I mean, this is how they were using that verse. That type of application was never God's intent, never. We see clearly from the context that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was to be carried out in the instance of a serious criminal act. And so guys, that's point two. Point one, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was to be carried out by the judicial authorities. Point two, it was to be carried out in the act of a serious criminal offense. Last point, last point concerning Exodus 21, 24. It was to be carried out so that punishment to the criminal was fair. So that punishment to the criminal was fair. Pastor Brian, our senior pastor here, he comments on the meaning of this passage, and he says this. The second reason why this statute was given was to restrict the punishment in the criminal case where the tendency might be to go too far. Again, guys, if left in the hands of the people, if, ha- if left in the hands of the people to carry out, punishments, what would they end up doing? They would go too far or they would be too lenient. Punishment might be too lenient because the one carrying out the punishment uh, was a friend of the criminal or a family member of the criminal. Or on the other side, punishment might be too severe in the carrying out because a friend or the judge is a friend of the criminal or a family member. I mean, consider the movies that we watch, guys or the real life stories that we've heard of concerning individuals who take justice into their own hands. Maybe a person has had a family member who has been severely hurt by another person, a criminal. And so what that vengeful family member does is he goes on a quest for revenge only to pay back what? The same amount? No, threefold. Threefold. And and guys, with that, I, I mean, it's clear from this passage, guys, 
that this is God giving the commands. He's just. And he gave this command so people don't go too far in their punishing of criminals, in their punishing of criminals. Romans 2 says this about God. He's a God who is impartial. He's impartial. And so that concludes our last point. And so, guys, how would we conclude what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is all about? Here it is. Here's the true teaching on it. It's all about judicial authorities justly punishing criminals. It's all about judicial authorities justly punishing true criminals. That was God's intent. It was never to be used. It was never to be used to teach personal retaliation, which is what the Pharisees taught. And so hopefully I've made this passage clear that it is not to be used for that, to to get back at someone who has harmed you. That's what the Pharisees taught. That's not what God taught. And so let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 as we move on to our second point. Matthew chapter 5. What did Jesus teach about this issue? The Pharisees clearly misrepresented a verse in Exodus 21. But let's see what our Lord teaches. Again, it's in total contrast Total contrast to what the Pharisees taught. Beginning in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus' main point in this passage in these four verses is, is found at the beginning of verse 39 when he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Here is what our Lord says. Here's what he teaches about personal retaliation. Here's what Jesus says we ought to do as Christians when we have been mistreated. Pay close attention to it. He says this to you, Christian, do not resist that person. The Greek word for resist is the word Antistemi, antistemi, it's a verb uh, which means in this context to set oneself against another, to set oneself against another. Or maybe a, a simpler meaning of this verb is this, to resist someone or to oppose them. Jesus here is telling his disciples not to be in opposition to the one who would treat them evil. Don't put yourself in opposition to them. Don't, don't attack that person or fight back. You shouldn't do that. Don't oppose them, but rather, what should we do? Well, he lays that out in the the last three verses. We should sacrifice our rights. Sacrifice our rights. Why? For being a witness for Christ. For being a witness for Christ. We see that first, we are to sacrifice our rights physically. Look at verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other Also, I mean, really? Is this what God is commanding us? I mean, is this not radical? Who wants to be the first? Who's going to raise their hand for for Deontay to punch them and and then turn the other cheek and let me punch the other one? Who wants to do that? No one. I mean, really? If someone hits you, do you not just want to hit them back? Our Lord said, that must not be with us. We must sacrifice ourselves physically, physically, but not just physically. Secondly, we must sacrifice our rights 
at a judicial level, judicially, verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In Jesus' day, a man could take you to court and sue you unjustly, and that person would end up, in some instances, taking your most essential piece of clothing, the tunic. The tunic was worn closest to the body, it was the undergarment, and the cloak, which Jesus mentions a few words later, that was opposite of the tunic. It was like the jacket. It was worn outside. It was, it, was, it was worn to keep people warm. One scholar says this about the cloak. Listen to this. For many people in that day, the cloak was their only form of protection. So even if taken in a pledge for a loan, it had to be returned to the owner before nightfall for sleeping purposes. For the same reason, a, Jew, a Jewish court of law would never award a cloak. They would never give a cloak. Again, because it was the outer garment. It was essential. It got cold. People needed it to survive. And even in light of that, listen, look at what Jesus says again. If someone would take you to court and sue you and take your tunic, give to him what? Give to him your cloak as well. Again, this goes completely against the grain of what the world teaches. Completely against the grain of what the world teaches. Jesus says to the Christian, this must be your attitude. Sacrifice your rights. Sacrifice your rights. Don't personally retaliate. So first, sacrifice physically. Second, sacrifice judicially. Third, Christ says that we are to sacrifice our rights on an authoritative level. Look at verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Go with him two miles. In Jesus' day, Roman law made it possible for a soldier, a Roman soldier, to compel, listen to this, they could literally tell a civilian at any time they wanted to, because they were a Roman soldier, to pick up their pack, no matter how heavy it was, and, and in that day, Jerusalem, or in that day, in the Palestinian region, they were mile markers, they were mile markers, they would tell them to pick up your pack, civilian, and walk, and take it a mile. They could just do that. Pick up your heavy pack, and they would do this to, to people who were, who, were, who, were, who were hurt and who were poor. Pick up your pack and take it a mile. Unjustly. Unjustly. And what does Jesus say for us to do? Are we to oppose that person? No, we are not to debate with the soldier. We are not to set ourselves against them. But rather, we are to go the extra mile. You get it? Literally. We are to go the extra mile. Jesus says, don't just, if they tell you to go one, go two. Go to, again, this is all about sacrificing our rights for the sake of the gospel. Sacrificing physically, judicially, at an authoritative level. And then lastly, verse 42, financially, Jesus says, give to the one who begs from you or who wants a loan, who's asking for money from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Undoubtedly, there were people in Jesus' day who were in need of finances, and our Lord tells us we ought to be willing to give to that person. We ought to be willing to give to that person. Guys, is this not crystal clear, what our Lord desires for us when it comes to this issue of personal retaliation? God's desire is that we would, as Christians, not fight or war against those who would wrong us, but rather that we sacrifice our rights for them that we sacrifice our rights for them. And so in conclusion for tonight, there are basically three applications that I want to point out. The first being this, guys. Don't return evil for evil. 
I'll say it again. Don't return evil for evil. That is hard to live out. We pray to God, help us in that. Don't return evil from evil. As we can see in verse 39, Jesus says, don't oppose the evil person. Don't oppose. In, in other words, Jesus was saying this, don't give them back what they just did to you. You're in Matthew. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Paul also says this under the inspiration of the Spirit. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 17. And again, if you have subtitles in your Bibles, you see marks of a true Christian. Here's a mark of a true Christian. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. God makes it clear here. He makes it clear. We should never sin when we are sinned against. It doesn't matter who it is, believer or unbeliever. And he says it again in verse 21 of Romans 12. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. Don't give evil right back, guys. It's not God's desire for you. And so that's application number one. Don't return evil for evil. Application number two, justice, remember this, justice is not ours to provide. Justice is not ours to provide. When it comes to personal issues, hear me out on that, that's crucial. When it comes to personal issues, on this issue, Paul also speaks here in Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 of Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Never avenge yourself. Is that not clear? But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay. God says, vengeance is mine. I am righteous. I am just. There is a day when I will come and I will pay vengeance to all. I will repay them according to their works. Leave that to me. And so it would be extremely prideful for you, Christian, to take matters into your own hands. Consider that when you want to personally retaliate. It's prideful because God says vengeance is his when you are wrong. It's his. But rather, what should we think about as Christians? Look at verse 20 of Romans 12. To the contrary, to the contrary of taking vengeance into your own hands, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Again, it's all about sacrifice. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, let's be careful here, guys. We're not trying to heap burning coals on their head, right? When someone does something evil to you, you're like, all right, I'm going to do good for you. I hope the, you feel these burning coals. Yeah, they're coming. <laughs> we, we aren't supposed to do that. That's not the point. That's just going to be a result. That's going to be a result as we choose not to repay evil for evil. Application one, don't return evil for evil. Application number two, and it's clear here from Romans 12, justice is not ours, it's God, but rather we are to sacrifice our rights. Application number three, lastly, and guys, if I lost you, hone it in here. This is huge. This is huge. Remember that having a non-retaliatory heart, a non-retaliatory heart, brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. Having a non-retaliatory heart brings glory to God because 
Jesus commanded for us to have that type of heart, as we saw in Matthew chapter 5. Don't oppose the evil one, he says. Having a non-retaliatory heart brings glory to God because it chooses, listen to this, to place being a witness for God above our personal rights. It, it places being a witness for Christ, being sought in light above, above our personal rights. And lastly, having a non-retaliatory heart brings glory to God because it is a witness to those who we are choosing not to retaliate on that our God is a God of mercy. That our God is a God of mercy. So as we close, go back to Matthew chapter 5. If there's anything you get from tonight, Christian, it is this. Choosing not to retaliate brings glory to God. It gives people a right perspective about who God is because it shows them that God is a God of mercy. It's so interesting, the paragraph that follows, that precedes uh, this paragraph that we just looked at, at, at retaliation. Look at verse 30, 43. I mean, this is just beautiful. You have heard it said, Again, the Pharisees had taught you this. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And in our flesh, we're saying, yeah, yeah. Christ says, no, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who would persecute you. That's the word literally in the Greek. It means to oppose. Who would oppose you? Why? Why? Why do this, Christ? It's so hard. It's so hard when I get hit or when I get wrong to want to get back at that person, no matter who it is. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. In other words, so that you can represent your father who is in heaven, who is in heaven. Our God is a God of mercy, is he not? We have wronged him. We have committed evil against him day in, day out, and we still do as Christians. And is he raining vengeance on us? If he was, none of us would be here. I sure wouldn't, I sure wouldn't be. And you wouldn't be either. And so God, if we are to bring, or guys, if we, you guys aren't God. Guys, if we are to bring glory to God, if we are to be an accurate representation of him, show mercy. It's hard, I know, guys, it's hard. We need to beg to God to help us with this. When someone cuts us off, we don't honk our horn and say, and try to drive fast and get back in front of them. We don't do that. We don't do that. If you do, repent. Repent, because God wants you to be a person of mercy. Isn't that what we just learned in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the merciful, because what? Because they have received mercy because they have received mercy. Take this to heart. Guys, let's go to prayer. Lord, thank you for this passage. Uh, it's hard, Lord. I would readily admit that. I'm sure everybody would concur with me. This is hard, and so we cry out to you. But though it is hard, Lord, that doesn't excuse us. It is a command from you that we don't oppose the person who is evil to us. Contrary to what the Pharisees were teaching, Lord, that we should get back at the person who, should, who was evil towards us, and they obviously misused one of your scriptures. Jesus says, don't do that, but sacrifice. Sacrifice physically, judicially, authoritatively, 
financially. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to love our enemies so that we may be sons of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God, in whose name we pray. Amen.